It is my distinct, yes, I say distinct, pleasure and privilege to be starting a brand new sermon series with you this morning, going through a new book of the Bible. It's not new, but the series is new. The book of Acts. Somebody say the book of Acts. We're excited for the book of Acts. Okay, I like it. Off to a good start. Now, there's so much to go through, so much to cover, so we got to jump right in. But what I want to do at the very beginning, before we even get into the Word, uh, I want to just give a little bit of context to set the stage for us, if you'll permit me to do so. So the book of Acts, among other things, it's many things, one of the things that it is, it's a history book. Somebody say history. Now, some of you loved history in school, so when I say that, you perked up in your chair a little bit. Some of you did not like history, and your eyes rolled back into your head a little bit, and you say, wake me up when it's over, okay? But stay with me. It's good. History's good. It's a history of this thing, this movement called the church. Somebody say, the church. The church, the capital C church, not just our church, but the church. Uh, Acts talks about the origins of the church, how it all got started, what its design is, what God's intentions are for the church. Massively important historical book. It was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a physician, a doctor by trade. He was an aide to the Apostle Paul, we'll read later on. Luke, it's important to note, he's an educated guy. He's done his research. He knows how to interview eyewitnesses, get the facts straight, keep careful records of the stuff. And that's important for me. Like, I mean, this is the Word of God. So even if it was just like the local yokel that wrote this book, I'd still believe it. But it does it even more for me to know that this is a smart, educated, detail-oriented person who's keeping records and writing this book. That just even increases its legitimacy for me. And Luke wrote this book of Acts to continue on in the story that he began in a different book that he wrote called Luke. See see where he got the name from? Luke, written by Luke. Uh, It even says in verse one of our text, uh, in the first book that I wrote, that's the gospel of Luke. And now here he's continuing on the story. It says he wrote this book to a guy named Theophilus. That's a fun name to say. That may have been a benefactor of some sorts for Luke. Uh, it's uh, uncertain when this book was written exactly. Scholars offer a multitude of different dates as to when. Some say it was as late as the 80s or 90s AD. Some say it may have been in about the 60s AD. And the support they give for the 60s AD date is that the book of Acts ends with Paul in uh, prison in Rome, and that happened in the 60s AD. So a lot of people say, well, that's just the most recent thing that happened. That's when he wrote this book. But in any case, if the date is in question by 20 or 30 years, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really change anything. It's just a little bit of research you can do for yourself. Now, here's the thing about the book of Acts. It's more than just a history book, though. The history, and it's awesome, and I'm excited to cover it with you, but it's way more than that. Listen, to the, the book of Acts is the Word of God. It's part of the Word of God. You know, the same Word of God that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God that goes out and it does what God sent it out to do. It's powerful. That's the book of Acts. Scripture, God's Word. And it's about God the God who was from eternity past, the God who still is today, this God about how he was moving, and he's still moving. The book of Acts is a lot about the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the Holy Spirit now. We're gonna talk a lot about him in the coming weeks. Acts is about God's people. It's about what God wants to do in his people and in this world that belongs to him. And I wanna say this before we jump in. The book of Acts, super timely for us as a church. 
super timely because it's not just a story about what happened in the past. The book of Acts is a story about what's still happening. It's about a God that moved back then, but also a God that's still moving now. How many of you know God's been moving in our church the last couple years? That would be every hand unless you're new here this morning. Welcome, by the way. God has been moving here in our church. God's kingdom is expanding here in our church. And we want to make sure as God's people that we are grounded in what's most important. We want to make sure that we're grounded as we're going and growing as a church in not only the word of God, but just, just the heart of God. We want to make sure that we're grounded in, in the patterns, if there are any of, you know, when God moves, what tends to go into that. We want to be in the book of Acts and grounded in the book of Acts so that we can be the church that God wants us to be. Amen? Amen. So with that, grab your Bible, turn it to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Seems like a good place to start right at the beginning, eh? I'm going to read to you to the end of verse 11, and then we'll dive in and unpack it this morning. So it says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We'll talk about that. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. How's that for an intro? The book of Acts, if we want to understand the book of Acts, what a beginning that is, because there's so much foundational truth in those 11 verses that we just read. Matter of fact, if we want to understand the Bible, we've got to go right back to the foundations, some of which are right in here as well. If we want to make sense of this, we go right back to the cornerstone, the foundation of it all. And the foundation of the book of Acts, it's all about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. So what I want to do, I want to just lay down six foundational truths about Acts, about really about the whole Bible, about life in general. These are big things. But in order to understand Acts, we've got to establish these right off the hop. So here's the truth right here. Number one, you need to understand Jesus lived. He lived. See, in the, this verse on the screen right here, it says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, if he's doing and teaching, that sort of necessitates that, you know, he's alive and he's around and he's breathing and he's able to do stuff right here. Now, there are few people in the world who argue against Jesus being a real historical figure. Most people, almost everybody agrees, yeah, he lived, he was a real person. So, uh, some people are even fine with 
You know, the concept of him teaching. Jesus came and he gave a lot of teaching. In fact, if you're doing our Bible reading plan with us that we started this past week, we're right now on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus is teaching a bunch. But in any case, he did come. He taught powerfully, authoritatively. He came bearing truth about God and about life and about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. Jesus came and taught and testified about all of those things. Here is where some people would start to disagree with us, though, about Jesus living. We believe Jesus was not just a mere man. Jesus was not just a good teacher. He was not just a moral philosopher. He was not just a popular celebrity. Jesus is God come to earth. Jesus is fully God, and he took on the form of man when he came to the earth. And he came to earth in the form of a man so that he could save us from our sins, so that we could be reconciled to God. That's what we believe. That's what we as Christians need to believe. That's just the truth about who Jesus is. So he lived. Number two is this. He chose apostles. Somebody say apostles. 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 Now, that's what it talks about in verse two right here, to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, the apostles were originally called Jesus what? Disciples, right? There were 12 of them. Right now, there are 11 of them. We'll talk about that next week. These 11 disciples became apostles. Now, in that day of Jesus walking and living on the earth, it was common for teachers to have disciples. A disciple is a learner. It's a follower, right? Someone who is the teacher and the master and the expert would have people sit at their feet and soak up all the wealth of wisdom and knowledge and expertise. That was very common in those days. But the word apostle now, they're starting to be called apostles here. That word means something else. It means one sent on a mission, You see that? They're not just disciples anymore. They're not just people sitting at his feet and receiving and taking it all in. They're now going out on a mission. And these apostles, formerly disciples, these were eyewitnesses to so much of the stuff that Jesus did during his time on earth. They were witnesses to his miracles, to his teaching, to his acts of mercy, to his uh, rants and raves against the religious leaders, which are usually hilarious. They were eyewitnesses, most importantly, to his death and his resurrection. Right? They saw it happen. They saw him back to life. Some of these people were very close friends of him. These, these apostles, these are people, as we'll see in the coming weeks, they are the ones who are first trusted to begin spreading the message of who Jesus is and what he has done. So Jesus chose apostles. Third thing, hugely important that you need to understand, Jesus died and he rose. He died and he rose. This is, this is everything right here. It says he was presented alive after his suffering. His suffering's talking about his death, his crucifixion, the sacrifice he made on the cross for us. Again, Jesus is not just a historical figure. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a celebrity. He's not just a guru. Jesus died to be our sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says that God made you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God made you. Now, while you're still turning to them, tell them God loves you. God made you and God loves you. God created you to be in a relationship with him. God, God literally, the DNA of us as human beings, we're supposed to be close and connected and walking in relationship with God. That's as real and more real than any human-to-human relationship that you might have. This is how God designed it. But the Bible says that we have all sinned. We've fallen short. We've broken trust with God. We've broken God's laws and rules. And as a result, we do the crime, we do the time right? We, because we have sin in our lives, line forms behind this guy as always, we have sin in our lives. We can't just waltz in to God's presence and have that relationship with God, right? Because we're 
God is, sin cannot be. They don't go together, oil and water, right? And so we're separate from God on our own, right? Let me just just declare this early in the year to get it out of your system. You're not good enough on your own to walk with God. You're not. The Bible says no one is good. All have fallen short. Now, it would be one thing if, watch my hands, that's all that there was, right? If all that it meant was, well, now we don't have that relationship with God. Oh, well, I'll just go do something else. No, the problem's actually worse than that. The Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. So not only do you go through this life apart from your purpose and the way you were designed to be close to God, you pay for your sin in the end, physical and spiritual death, right? You just need to understand. You need to understand sin is real, condemnation is real, punishment from God is real, the wrath of God is real, hell is a real place, and you don't want to go there. That's the, that's the destiny that all of us are in line for because of our sin. But the Bible says God so loved the world. Remember you told your neighbor God loves you? Well, it's true. God loves you and I so much that he sent Jesus, his son, to the earth to die in our place for our sin. Did Jesus have any sin of his own? No. Did Jesus deserve to die? No. Who did? Us. Right? There's no fine print there. That's just black and white. But God stepped in. God stepped into our mess, into our history, into our dumpster fire called the earth. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. He died on a cross. He suffered for you. He died. He bled for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you can be reconciled to God. Because again, the wages of sin is death. Payment must be made. Jesus makes the payment so you don't have to make it. That's what he did. Now, this whole book of Acts is built around this. Jesus dying, but he didn't just die, he rose too. Somebody say, he rose. He rose. (laughs) With the right inflection and everything, nice. Jesus rose. He didn't stay dead. It wasn't just, oh, well, I had my 30 seconds of fame and, you know, now he's dead and that's it. Show over, game over. Jesus rose from the grave. Yep, we believe that. Straight up, we do. Jesus defeated death. Jesus could not be held in the ground because he had no sin of his own and the power of God raised him to life. He burst forth from the grave victoriously, triumphantly. He has the final word. He has the final say. He is greater. Our greatest enemy called death has been defeated by Jesus. He's alive and well right now. How's that sound to everybody this morning? Sounds pretty good to me. So Jesus dying and rising, this is so vitally important. It's the focal point. It's it's, it's the hinge on which everything else in the book of Acts turns. Jesus died and he rose. By the way, something really cool in there, he presented himself alive, right? This isn't just a theory or an unproven philosophy. Jesus, after he rose, he actually appeared to upwards of 500 people over a 40-day period. That's proof. That's evidence. Jesus is alive. He died and he rose. Fourth thing is this, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. You can see it in verse four and verse five right here. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We're gonna talk about what that phrase means in the coming weeks, but just let it be known right here. The Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus. Now you say, well, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God. God exists in three parts, three persons, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. 
God the Father, Jesus the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the presence and the power of God that comes to dwell in us as believers. So when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? When you surrender your life to him, when you acknowledge that you're a sinner and you need to be saved and only Jesus can save you and you repent of your sin and follow him in baptism, right? You are saved and the Bible says, we're gonna read it in Acts 2, it's gonna be awesome. You receive the Holy Spirit. So God, as a Christian, God actually lives inside of you. Yep, we believe that too, just saying. God actually lives in us, the presence and power of God working through us. It's amazing, we'll unpack that a lot in the coming weeks, but just let it be known right now, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. Only God could do that, by the way. Only God could say, by the way, God is coming. Right? I, anyway, oh, I don't wanna get ahead of myself. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. And in a coming couple of weeks, we're gonna see how he delivered on that. Number five, oh, this is just the best. Jesus, you need to understand, the truth is that Jesus ascended into heaven. We believe that. We 100% believe that. Look at, that. Look at this. Until the day when he was taken up. That means whoosh, he's not here anymore. He's gone. If you go to the next slide, there's another one too. Verses nine to 11. Here they come. Here they come. There it is. When he'd said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. You say, well, where did the cloud take them? Well, look at this, verse 11. Why do you stand looking into heaven? Jesus was taken up from you into heaven. Seems pretty clear to me, pretty black and white issue as far as I'm concerned. Jesus didn't stay dead, he rose, he's alive, and then he ascended into heaven, and that's where he is right now. If anyone ever asks you, where is Jesus now? Because I don't see him walking around on the earth. It's because he's in heaven, ruling and reigning on a throne. That's where he is, and he's doing quite well, I will just say. Anyway, foundational, Jesus ascended into heaven. And finally, lastly, number six, you need to understand Jesus is coming back right? He, he died, he rose, he ascended, but that's not the end of the story. This Jesus who was taken up from you will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He, he went up in a cloud. The Bible says that Jesus is coming again on the clouds at the sound of a trumpet, and every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge that he is Lord. Jesus is coming back. See, history is on a fixed timeline. This world that we live in, this world as we know it, will end someday, and when it ends, it ends because Jesus returns. That's the last chapter in the book. Boom, he's back. And it's gonna be a good day for us as Christians because when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. And there's gonna be a day of judgment. But as Christians, we're gonna be found not guilty at the judgment because we belong to Jesus. That's a whole big thing and we can't talk about it all today. But Jesus is coming back. Let it be known. That's how this age ends. Now, those six things I just shared with you, if you've been in the church long enough, you've probably heard those things before. Well, again, it's because they're foundational. But, but this is what the book of Acts is built upon. It's built upon th this, this position. This, it's built upon this truth about what Jesus has done and who he is and what he's accomplished and where he's gone and where he is now and what he's going to build and what he's going to do. That's called the church. He's gonna build the church. What basically I'm getting at is that the person and the work of Jesus changed everything and it still changed everything. Amen? The book of Acts, ultimately, yes, it's about, you know, the Holy Spirit and its miracles and its missionary journeys and a whole bunch of things, but the, the book of Acts is about Jesus. It's all about what he's done. So if you, let me say it this way. If you want to understand the book of Acts, you look to Jesus. If you want to understand God, you look to Jesus. If you want to understand the church, you look to Jesus. If you want to understand the work of the Holy Spirit, you look to Jesus. 
If you want to understand your life, friends, you look to Jesus. That's where it starts and stops, right there. So right away, we need to align ourselves with Jesus. We need to remember he's not some secondary, minor figure. Jesus is Lord. Somebody say, Jesus is Lord. So we've got to remember that. We've got to remember where he's sitting right now and what he's calling us to do right now, which is what I want to spend the rest of my time on this morning. You say, okay, if all those things about Jesus are true, which they are, that was funny, thank you. If all these things about Jesus are true, what does that mean for me? What's the point? What's the takeaway? What am I supposed to do with all this? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's what I'm gonna tell you about for the rest of our time this morning. The takeaway is this, right? If Jesus really is who he says he is and who Acts 1 says he is, the first thing that we need to take away from this is this. Jesus is calling us to submit to his authority. A lot of times, we kind of just see Jesus as the benevolent, oh, he loves me and he died for me. Thank you, Jesus. Now go away. For being real honest. But as we're going to see here, Jesus is a king. Jesus is in a position of authority. And we have no right and no place and no business just to push him to the side. So look, look what happens here. Jesus has appeared to his apostles it's great, he's alive. And look what they say. When they come together, they ask him. It's like the first thing they ask him. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, you have to understand, at the time, the nation of Israel, this was a couple of thousand years ago, remember, the nation of Israel was being ruled over by the Roman Empire. So Israel was having these oppressors and these overlords. And right, God had made all these promises to Israel in history past. Like, if you follow me, you're gonna be the head, not the tail. You're gonna be known and exalted in all the earth. It's gonna go well for you, Israel. History tells us they did not follow the Lord. They went their own way and God humbled them. And so here's kind of one of the results of that. They're, they've got these Roman overlords and these Roman oppressors over them. And so now that Jesus has appeared to them alive, he's obviously pretty powerful and pretty awesome. So they say, hey, Jesus, are you gonna come and restore the kingdom now? Are you gonna come and overthrow the Romans and launch a military campaign and a big coup and a, and a big social media you know, publicity uh, campaign? Here's the only problem with all that. That wasn't what Jesus' plan was. They're trying to bend him to their will. See, they're not asking, okay, Lord, what are you gonna do now? They're telling them, hey, you should really do this, cattle prod, cattle prod, right? They're, and this is, this is a problem. And Jesus responds in verse seven by saying, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has affixed by his own, there's the word, authority, right there. What I love is that Jesus doesn't rebuke them for that question, Maybe it was annoying for him to hear, but he doesn't lay the boot down to them. He just says, look, it's not your problem. God has authority, not you. The issue of authority is one that we've got to grapple with as human beings. It is an important issue. And if you don't think it is, authority, what's, what's that guy even talking about? Let me just give you an example. How many of you have ever been horseback riding before? Yeah? Okay. Maybe there's some stories there. We'll hear those later on. I've been like twice. I'm no expert. It's fun, but I haven't done it in 20 years. Whatever. It's all good. Um, but if you ride on a, the back of a horse, right, and you have all your equipment, you've got 
the saddle, right, and the reins, and a bit in the horse's mouth, and whatever else you put on a horse. Again, I don't really know. It doesn't matter. If you've got all that gear on the horse, it's very clear. You are in the position of authority. When you yank this way, the horse will go this way. When you dig your foot in, if that's politically correct to do that, the horse will go faster. You pull up on the reins, the horse will slow down. You are in the position of authority. What happens when the horse forgets about that? Right? When the horse decides that it's in authority, because I'm bigger and I know better and I'm going to be the master of my own destiny, right? You, you yank to the right and the horse goes left and there's a cliff on the left, right? You, you yank like this for the horse to pull up and slow down and it bolts like this, right? You want the horse to, to, to slow down or you want it to speed up rather and it just stops, right? When the horse thinks it's in authority, the whole thing topples and it doesn't work. And, you know, that's kind of a dumb example, but we do the very, very, very exact same thing with God. We do. We get this issue of authority mixed up. We say, here's God, here's me. Certainly, if you're here and you're not a Christian this morning, that's something that you're doing, and I'm not here to point the finger at you. I'm just saying, by default of your position of not being a Christian, people that don't submit and surrender to Jesus by default, are trying to do this. But, but I'm in a room full of mostly Christians this morning, and this is something that I've seen and I've known and I've done in my life too. We wear all the equipment, right? We carry a Bible around. We're on our phone maybe, right? You might wear like a Jesus t-shirt. You might have a fish on the back of your car or a cross around your neck, and you go to church and all this stuff and whatever. And yet when push comes to shove, a lot of times we say, Jesus, you're here and I'm here. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Now, it doesn't mean that if you wrestle with that, that you're like not a real Christian or you're not saved or something. No, what I'm saying is that means you're human. This, is, th- this means that we have a heart issue that we have to deal with. See, we have this thing that we wrestle with at the core of who we are called our flesh. Somebody say our flesh, right? Our sin nature, right? So if you're a Christian, you've been saved, you have the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord, awesome, but you still have the flesh to contend with. The Bible says the flesh wages war against us, right? If you've ever wondered like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm still like sometimes finding myself doing really dumb things and I'm not sure why, or why why do I really like this thing that I shouldn't like? Well, that's probably because of your flesh. The flesh is hostile against God. And the flesh, what the flesh wants to do is tell you, remember, God's here and you're here. Right? God is here to be an underling to you and to support you in all of your endeavors and in your quest and to, to make you happy and to bless you and to revolve around you. And I'm saying it does not work. That is a lie from the enemy right there. What Jesus is actually calling us to do is to surrender. Right? That means instead of trying to do this and leapfrog him on the org chart, we take a breath. And we say, you are God and I am not. And I'll just remind you a couple of scriptures. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. Right? Right? When we do this, try to leapfrog God, it's a pride thing. I want to be God. I want to be the man. I want to do my own thing. I want to be the captain of my own ship. That's pride. Thinking of yourself too highly, right? God opposes the proud. Not just he doesn't like it. He'll actually actively work against you if you're doing that. Think about that for a second. Right, so the Bible also says that we're to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord so at the proper time he may exalt us. Like he wants to build you up. God wants to do good things in your life. God wants to do a good work in your heart. He wants to bless you. 
But when we're prideful and we're trying to do this, he's like, I- I'm not going to reward that. Oh, just thought of this. Used to watch Judge Judy a lot. She would say to people, I'm not going to reward you for your bad behavior. Oh, okay, that took me back. Anyway, probably didn't need to say that, but I said it anyway. Jesus is calling us to surrender, to submit, to say, I am not God. You are God, not me. More of you, less of me. And you say, well, that sounds heavy-handed, right? Why can't I just live my life the way I want to live it? Listen, God made you. God loves you. God created you. God knows how this whole thing called life, your life is supposed to work. He knows better than you do. So God asking you to surrender and to submit to his authority in your life, to put him first, to listen to him, to regard him more highly than you regard yourself, this isn't him being egotistical or heavy-handed. It's actually the pathway to our flourishing, right? Because when we think we know better and we leapfrog God like this, listen, how many of you know what's gonna happen tomorrow? God does, you don't, right? We see like this. God sees the whole picture. God wants to lead you and guide you and strengthen you and build you up. We don't have the capacity to do that because we're not God. But if we listen to God, it says in the book of Proverbs that God wants to establish your steps. God literally wants to lead you and guide you into paths of righteousness on a good path. It's not that nothing bad will ever happen to you, right? But it's that God will lead you and bless you. Now, Here's a, a real-world example from my life, just, just for fun. Talking about, like, resisting God and know I know better. When I was a little kid, I used to get ear infections once in a while. Anybody had an ear infection before? Kind of nasty, right? Not super pleasant. And I wasn't old enough to take those monstrous pills that are, like, this big that they give you for an ear infection. So I don't know what they give kids now. I'll probably learn. But uh, back in the 90s, they gave that horrible antibiotic banana juice, I called it. I don't know what you called it in your house, the banana juice. I hated, hated the banana juice with a passion. And when I would have an ear infection, my parents would go to the doctor and they'd get the banana juice, which is for my benefit to make me better. And I would say, I don't need to take that. I'm good. I know better. And they would say, you're three years old. You don't know anything. No, not going to do it. And they'd come, yeah, here you go, Braden. And I'm not doing it. And it literally got to the point, I mean, this is all hearsay. I'm sure this isn't true. It got to the point that my parents had to literally physically restrain me, pin me down on the floor, do this, (laughs) put the stuff in a syringe and stick it in and wait till I swallowed it. It is kind of funny. I'm saying they knew better than me. And if I had just shut up and listened and did what I was supposed to, I could have spared that whole circus. So it is in our lives. Listen, when we put ourselves in the position of God and I know better and I know best, we inevitably walk into the minefield and get blown up and it's terrible and it could be completely preventable if we just humble ourselves and listen to the Lord. That's what I'm saying. So if you are hearing this, and that's sort of striking a chord with you, if you are finding and sensing, oh, maybe there's areas in my life where I'm not putting Jesus first. Maybe there's areas in my life where I'm actually doing my own thing and leaning on my own understanding and not really interested to hear what he has to say. I would encourage you this morning, take a breath and humble yourself. 
surrender. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for my resisting and my stubbornness and my insistence that I can do it better than you. You surrender. You put the hands up. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to do this your way. How's that for a New Year's resolution, eh? Jesus is calling us. Very clear here in the book of Acts chapter 1. Second thing is this. This is like one of the, you know, the nerve center of Acts chapter 1 right here. The second thing is this. If you are a Christian, you are a witness. To be a Christian is to be a witness. This is a famous verse right here, Acts 1.8. Jesus says, you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, right away, I want to just clear up an argument that I've heard before, and it's ridiculous to me. Some people read that, and mostly because they don't want to do anything, they argue. They say, no, nah, that's not for me. He was only talking to those 11 apostles, not talking to me. Here's what I would say. That's baloney. And I want to say more stuff to you, but I'll restrain, and I'll leave it at that. Here's the deal. This was written in an age where, okay, they had ships and boats. They could go throughout the world like that, but they didn't have cars. They didn't have phones. They didn't have the internet, right? You walked or you rode a camel or you went on the boat kind of thing. When Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where this was all taking place when this was written. Yeah, okay. Probably these 11 guys during their lifetime could spread the message through Jerusalem and all Judea. So that's like the greater region. Could they do that? Well, yeah, maybe if they lived like a long time, maybe the 11 guys, they could go out and be responsible for the message getting out to all Judea. And Samaria, that's kind of like the neighboring area, like big territory. They maybe, maybe could have done that. But then it says to the end of the earth. You want me to believe that 11 guys in their lifetime could spread the message of Jesus to the whole earth? I don't think so. I think that's got to be talking to more than just them. If you're a Christian, that's actually talking to you. You will receive power, Christian. You will have the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you will be my witness, says Jesus. Now, now that we got that out of the way, witnessing. Here's what a witness is. You're smart people. A witness is someone who sees something and then reports about it, right? So right off the bat, a witness is kind of a position of humility, in a way, witness means you're in second place. You're not the center. You're not the point. You're, you're pointing to something else. For instance, if you've ever witnessed a car accident, right? You're just minding your own business and boom. That's happened to me a couple of times here at the church, by the way. Busy intersection, car accidents. I won't say I enjoy them because like people could get hurt, but like, I don't know. There's something that's 12 years old inside of me that kind of likes, you know, a little bit of a car wreck that no one got hurt in. Anyway, I'll edit that part out later. That doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> Let's say a minor car accident, a fender bender. You witness that, the police are going to come to you and they're going to want to hear your story, right? But they're not coming to you because, oh, Braden, you witnessed an accident. You're the man. I'm so glad to be hanging out with you so you can tell me about the accident. And then after that, man, my day will be made and I'll just go home. No, they're talking to you because you saw something happen, something important, something maybe serious. And you're reporting about what happened so that they can get to the bottom of it, so they can figure out, hey, is everybody okay? Or what's the truth? Or was there a crime committed here? You're there to be a messenger and to relay the information. It's not about you. They're there to figure out what's the most important thing. I'm here to tell you something today. Jesus is the most important thing. 
And you, you are a witness to how glorious and how powerful and how amazing and how life-changing and how eternity-altering he is. It's not about you. Your life is not about you. You are a witness. Now, see Jesus right there. He says, you'll be my witnesses. Another verse that talks about that, 1 Peter 2.9. Love 1 Peter 2.9. It says that we as Christians are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. So when you witness, it's not just about, hey, wow, I'm really happy and I'm really successful or even, wow, I really love my church. You're witnessing about Jesus. He is the point. Witness about Jesus. Let me say this. Your life is a billboard. Your life is like a billboard. You know what a billboard does. There's one right out here outside the church, by the way. I look at that sometimes. A billboard exists to not be the be-all, end-all. It exists to point you to something else. For instance, I believe it's still there. It was there this week. On the Irving side of this billboard right out here, there's an ad for Wendy's. And I don't know exactly what I think of this, but there's an ad for Wendy's on there, and in the same little cup, I think it's like a French fry box, there's a few French toast sticks, and there's a few chicken tenders. And they say it's a match made in heaven. I don't really know if I'm quite there, but maybe through some prayer and reflection, I might get there, I don't know. It just seems weird to me. I'm a skeptic, okay? When I drive to work and I go by that billboard, the point is not for me to notice the billboard and go, oh man, what a billboard, what an ad, awesome. No, the point is to get me to go to Wendy's down over the hill. It's pointing me to something else. Well, your life is the very same thing. People are supposed to take notice of you and notice that you're pointing them to somewhere and something else. That somewhere and something and someone else is supposed to be Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? What, you know, what's the, what, what does this witnessing look like? Well, it looks like your whole life. You witness about Jesus with your whole life. It's not just, let me be careful how I say this. It's not just the, I'm gonna get up in King's Square on a soapbox with a megaphone and yell at you and hand you a leaflet. Now, I'm not making fun. Street preaching is awesome. Some people, that's what God leads you to do. On a sidebar, there's actually a small group starting in our church right now and people are getting raised up to go into the streets and share the gospel. So I'm not knocking that at all. That's amazing. But I'm saying that this witnessing though is more than that too. It includes everything. It includes like the way you speak to people and treat other people. That can be part of your witness. The way that you carry yourself in this life, the integrity that you have, maybe the joy that you have and the peace that's visible in your life, even through stormy circumstances. And yes, obviously witnessing involves sharing the gospel and praying for people when the opportunities come up. You know what's cool? Even sometimes when we mess up, we can be a witness about Jesus, even when we get it wrong. Because when we mess up and we sin and we stumble, we go to Jesus for forgiveness and he forgives us and, and he doesn't hold it over us. There's no condemnation in Christ. So we get to pick ourselves up even though we've messed up and dropped the ball and we get to walk in confidence in Jesus. People can notice that sometimes in our lives. So my point is that all of these things are ways to witness the point is this, if you're a witness, people would see you and somehow Jesus would come out of that. They would see you and somehow they would be pointed and drawn to Jesus. Here's a question I don't want you to answer out loud. Just consider this today. When people look at you, what do they notice? When people look at me, what do they notice? When people talk to me, 
When people hang out with me, do they walk away from that having any iota, any trace, even a sniff about Jesus in there? That's something we all, I got, it got heavy in the room there just for a second, right? That's something that we all got to consider. You say, I don't know, this witnessing thing feels like a lot of pressure, Braden. I'll just remind you, you will receive power when the, say it a little louder, I'm a trifle deaf in this left ear. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This, this witnessing, this pointing to Jesus with the, the output of your whole life, your words, your actions, everything. It's not about you and your power. It's, it's like, it's not about your efforts, though you do need to try. Effort is needed. You can't just sit here and do nothing, okay? It's not about your goals and your successes and your this and your that. It's not about you. The Holy Spirit living in you is where the power for the witness comes from. Furthermore, you can't save anyone anyway. When you tell someone about Jesus, like we'll talk about all this in the coming weeks, you can't even save them anyway. You're a messenger. You're a witness. You're not God. And you're also not a nobody, right? That's the lane. That's the role that God has designed us and has asked us. No, actually, he hasn't asked us. He's commanded us as Christians to occupy that space. You're the messenger. You're the witness. Through your whole life, it should point to Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do I have access to this power of the Holy Spirit? Well, kind of through what we've already talked about, through submitting and surrendering to the Lord, right? If you're walking around and you're trying to leapfrog God like this, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Power's probably not gonna strongly come upon you in that way, but would you humble yourself and you say, Lord, I am yours. I am here Send me, use me, speak to me, fill me, whatever your will is for me, Lord. Ah, now we're talking. That is ground that God will bless and God will honor and God will show up. If you surrender and humble yourself to the Lord, you give yourself completely to the Lord, in my experience, that's when the Holy Spirit comes and does his best work. So let me say it this way. If you notice in your life that you're lacking this power, you say, I don't know, I don't really know if I'm witnessing much for Jesus. Or, or even, let's even expand it. I don't really feel much power in my life at all from God. God just seems distant or, or I just can't get over this hang up or this whatever. I'm saying it's probably connected to your surrender. Go back to that well again. Offer yourself to the Lord. Surrender to the Lord anew and afresh and see how he shows up for you. Last thing on this one and then we'll move on and wrap up. Being a witness is not drudgery. Some of you hear this, and I know you're doing this because I did this. When I heard an Acts 1-8 sermon, I went, oh, great. That's not right. <laughs> Don't do as I did in this. I would say, oh, now I gotta be like that weirdo, like, oh, I have a life, Jesus. Like, come on. Now I gotta be that weirdo, like Ned Flandersy guy, and I gotta like every conversation, like, Oh, like, I gotta, like, force Jesus into the conversation. I just, like, man, I don't wanna be a weirdo. Like, come on now. That's what I did. I was wrong in that. I was so wrong in that. You wanna know something? Being a witness for Jesus is not drudgery at all. Now, it's not always comfortable. 
You might end up in hot water because of some of the things you stand for and the way that you represent Jesus and the truth of Jesus to people. You might feel the squeeze in this world that really is against Jesus. But I'm saying, though, think of it this way. I could go on and on about this. Let me just say it this way. Think of how fulfilling it would be if you, you, each one of us, if you got to have a role in leading someone to Jesus. Think of how, like, I know it's not about you, but like, I'll just indulge you for a second, okay? Like, you get to have a role to play in seeing people come to know Christ. You know what that means? You play a role in their sins being forgiven. You can't forgive their sins, not saying that. You get to play a part in seeing this person literally get spared from hell you get to see this person, you know, to, to, to play a role in seeing this person be born again and, and, and receive new life in Christ and be brought from darkness to life and, and have a relationship with God, which is right at the root of why they were created in the first place, right? You get to have a hand in discipling someone and strengthening them and building them up in the faith. You get to be a cog in the wheel of the machine of the kingdom moving and expanding. That ain't drudgery to me. I can't think of anything better than that, honestly, that God would use me, that God would use you with all of your limitations and all of your baggage and all of your history. God wants you to play a role in what he's doing in the world and it's drudgery? Come on now. This is amazing. That God, like he could sidestep you altogether. He doesn't need to use you, but he wants to. Come on now. You get to be part of the building up and the advancement of the kingdom of God. Yes, give some praise to the Lord for that, please. Third thing is this, and then we'll start wrapping up. If all that stuff we talked about earlier about Jesus is true, which it is, third thing is this, we are to live now in anticipation of Jesus coming back. See this here, and we talked about this all fall in the book of Daniel right here. Jesus, who went from you into heaven, will come, come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Again, history is on a fixed timeline. It ends not with global warming or AI taking over the world. It ends with Jesus coming back. And I don't know about you, I'm excited for that day. I'm excited for that day. It's going to be a great day for us as Christians because when Jesus comes back and we see him even as we are seen and we know him even as we are known, man, he's coming back to usher in a new heavens and a new earth and you're going to get to be a part of it as a Christian. And he says when he does that, every tear is going to be wiped away. All of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all the sickness, all of the death, all of the garbage, it's going to be gone. You know what that means? If you're a Christian, your best days are still ahead of you. That's amazing to me. Your best days. Man, yes, appropriate. And I don't know about you. I want to be ready for that day. I don't want to be sitting around with my head in the sand or somewhere else or whatever. When Jesus comes back, I want to be found doing the things that he wants me to do. I want to be found with oil in my lamp burning, not running off looking for it somewhere else. I want to, I want to be found living under the authority of God when he shows up. I want to be living with my life centered on Jesus when he comes. I want to be living as a witness when he comes. I don't want to be off somewhere else, so I'll need a scolding. Listen, we have the opportunity now. We don't know when that day is coming. 
It seems every day that passes, we're getting closer and closer and closer to it. In any case, it's not for us to know the exact date. What we can do is we can make the most of the time we have until that day, right? The, the, the time is now. Wake up from your slumber. Quit wasting time. Make your life count for something. That's what God is offering us the invitation to do as long as today is called today. So if you're not a Christian and you're hearing this, absolutely, what you need to do, top priority, is get right with God. And you get right with God by submitting and surrendering and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Man, if you know, need to know more about that, come and talk to me later. I'd love to tell you more about that. But as a Christian, it's true. Say, like, if you're a Christian... Get your house in order, right? Quit, quit fooling around. We got stuff to do. We, we got to be witnesses. There's, there's a world of people right outside this door right now who don't know Jesus and they're going to hell. What are we going to do about it? That's the question. That, what, no, no, what, what are you going to do about it? Braden, I thought it was your job. Well, it is. It's also yours. Welcome to church. Thanks for being here. We'll talk lots more about that too. Here's how I want to wrap this up. Look here. It's the first Sunday of the year. Happy 2024. It's a new year. We're in a new book. And I am offering up this challenge to us, to us, all of us, to rise up and to ask, God, who do you want me to be? And what do you want me to be doing? We're going to see in Acts that God is a God who moves, he speaks, and he often works through the lives of people. And you can choose to position yourself to be one of those people used by the Lord, making a difference for the Lord. So I challenge you today, if you're going through the motions, surrender to Jesus. If you're lukewarm in your faith, surrender to Jesus. If you're not even sure if you believe in Jesus, man, <laughs> seek him and surrender to him. If you are struggling to know what to do in your Christian walk, seek Jesus and surrender to Jesus. If you're sitting here as a Christian going, you know what, I haven't really been doing much of anything. Put the stake in the ground and go after Jesus today. I challenge you today. I want you to ask yourself or to say to yourself, I want my life to count for something. I want to make the most of this day that you have given me, Lord, and this life that you have given me. And it starts with exactly what we talked about today, remembering Jesus, acknowledging Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, and submitting to Jesus. That is the beginning of the book of Acts. Amen? Give him some praise today, please.